Welcome to the Dead Media Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Seal, and today we're talking about the camera obscura. Generally regarded as the first form of the modern-day camera is in the most part completely unlike what we think of as a camera today. Mechanical parts and the ability to capture what is being reflected into the chamber is the main difference between the camera obscura and the type of camera you'd see in a movie where the photographer throws a blanket over his head to take a picture of a posed and rosy-cheeked family. Its uses are not dissimilar to our own more advanced versions of cameras as instruments of entertainment, art, and scientific discoveries. The camera obscura secured its role as the first device in the advancement of the human obsession with seeing and perceiving the world around us in newer and more advanced ways. Technological advancements have made these, the photographic camera, look very different than the camera obscura. Its significance, both scientifically and artistically, are why I'm talking about it today. Let's think about why it's included in the dead media series. With media in the macro sense, the death of technology comes from advancements that render a previous version less efficient or useful. The camera obscura is definitely dead. No one uses it on a daily basis anymore, but at one point in time, it was a popular novelty item that could be likened to a kaleidoscope. The only function it had was to look at the world through it. No bells or whistles. Except for a few specific people, which we'll talk about later, there was no use for it except for entertainment or wonder. The prototype of cameras we have are just evolutions from the very basic camera obscura. It was the first iteration of the camera. Its name is misleading, and we have the Latin language to thank for that. But it leads us towards the history we as a species have created, a history of capturing things we witness with our senses and rendering them in some way. This is a task that humans are still attempting in higher and higher detail as technology catches up with us. Full-frame mirrorless cameras that are able to capture 40 megapixels in a single 80 megabyte picture is a mind-blowing evolution from where the camera obscura had us started. We have come so far in these regards, but that doesn't mean we should forget where we truly started. And it doesn't mean that when you're done listening to this enthralling podcast, you can't go make your own and stare through it to discover the meaning of life, or that you're the next Vermeer. Its Latin name means dark chamber, and its earliest recorded existence is debated, as many astronomers and mathematicians discovered the concept in varying degrees across the globe. But the first known mention of it was the founder of Moism, Mohiti, in 400 BC. Original models were boxes, painted black on the inside, with a hole on the side and an angled mirror that flipped the image to its correct orientation, not unlike the correction retinas have to make, to turn the viewed image right side up made easier in the form of a tiny angled mirror inside the chamber. Different variations and additions onto this single prototype, varying in materials, size, and uses, continued on to the evolution of the modern-day camera we know today. Most of the philosophers, scientists, and experimenters that used the camera generally claimed that they were the first to use the pinhole camera. No lens, a tiny aperture, aka the pinhole, attached to a lightproof box with a small hole in one side. There are so many recorded uses of the camera obscura across history, and it was a commonly used device through which to also non-destructively view solar eclipses. Some other interesting historical connections are to follow. In the 17th century, the incredibly skilled painter Johannes Vermeer is rumored to have used a very fancy model of the camera obscura with multiple refractors and a very large chamber to create his often mind-bendingly realistic paintings. The BBC's research expert, Philip Stedman, used camera obscuras to view scenes through them and noted that with it, the use of color values and relationships are easier to view 
with the help of this device. The BBC's in-depth research article into Vermeer and the Camera Obscura continues to explore what the configuration of mirrors and placement of the pinhole, as well as Vermeer and his canvas, would have been like. It would have been very similar to a modern-day overhead projector, with the image coming down from refracted mirrors onto the canvas, where one could then do a very primitive color-by-number. The results are world-famous and beautiful to behold, with minute details in the most perfect places. The refractions and highlights on slightly reflective surfaces and the common soft diffusion and a shallower depth of field image is evident in his works. His paintings have long since been revered as some of the most precise in the world, and the camera obscura is to thank for a little bit of that fame. Around the same time, in 1672, Newton began experimenting with the division of sunlight into the rainbow. Attempting to make sense of the refractions he saw through prisms, breaking the light into its components, he achieved this by a similar technique to the camera obscura, by poking a small hole in a blackout curtain, reflecting the prisms and components into a darkened room and onto a wall. By creating a light-tight chamber, the room, and a small point of entry for any light, the hole in the curtain, Newton essentially created a very large camera obscura. His addition of prisms instead of the angled mirrors and additional experiments eventually expanded into his scientific research and contributed to the modern-day color theory we still use today in the study of the human perception of color. Later on in human history, the gap is finally bridged from the camera obscura to the photographic camera when Joseph Nisiphorus Sneeps placed a coated metal plate inside a camera obscura to record the exposed image on its interior permanently. It begins the vast and hilarious history of humans trying to make something you can look at the world through, even when today our eyes are still the most efficient and high-quality lens we can find. If you're completely intrigued by this podcast, you can experience a camera obscura for yourself, because there's one in the middle of nowhere outside of San Francisco. And there you can see a giant, famous camera obscura that visitors are able to go inside of, stand in, and even exit if they feel like it. Its design is based on the 15th century Leonardo da Vinci camera obscura chamber model. You can also prepare for the next lunar eclipse by making your own camera obscura or eclipse viewer to non-destructively view it. Thanks for listening, and remember that in 400 years, all the technology we hold dear will probably be dead too.